this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Uh, we we got to talk about... I feel bad because when we recorded the podcast after the game, I feel like I had a lot of emotions about how it went because we did record maybe 15 minutes after the game ended. And I always feel like after a loss, you're you're bummed about it and you think about all the terrible things that went wrong. Then you get Monday and you're like, I'm still bummed about it and I'm tired. And then you get Tuesday and you're like, okay. You, you've already watched the tape. You're moving on to Wednesday. Oh, is this team going to bounce back and, and beat the Saints? You know, what do they need to fix? What did it look like when you watch the tape after watching the game in real life? But I'm going to gloss over this just a little bit because it's been a hot topic, and we did talk about it on Sunday's podcast, the play calling. And I will say this. After the game, I was like, terrible call. I can't believe you didn't go with Joe Mixon. You need to get into the end zone. Don't do any Philly special, like just, just get it done. Stop beating yourselves. You can make it simple. You're losing to your own team. Sometimes make better decisions. Zach Taylor did talk about that because he was asked about play calling. If that was something that maybe he would move on from and, and maybe someone else in the building helped make that decision. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that was the whole point from Joe Daneman of Fox 19. And Zach pretty much just said there, he listed all the people, um, all the offensive staff you could think of that, listen to the plays and, you know, the outcome would probably be the same. I'll say this. They're not bringing in another offensive mind in October. They're just not going to Uh, maybe another NFL team would, and maybe it works for Philly when their head coach doesn't call the plays and he's not playing the offensive coordinator. We don't know if Brian Callahan, if he were to get the sole play calling in the offensive room and just be the offensive coordinator and Zach can focus on, locker room, culture, not worrying about plays, worrying about time management, all of the other stuff. We don't know if Brian Callahan would be better. We don't know if Brian Callahan has more of a say on some of the calls that are happening. Of course, at the end of the game, Zach's going to take the blame and be like, it's my fault, 100% my fault why we ran that. We didn't just run the ball in, all of that stuff he'll say after the game. But I think everybody's just so like, he's terrible. He's, he's not a good play caller and this person would be better. We don't know that. It's the potential of the unknown where the unknown commodity is better in your mind because you just want change and that change isn't going to be drastic. He's not coming in and installing a whole new scheme. Nobody is coming into this offense. Joe Brady, even if he walks through that door, isn't going to install the 2019 LSU offense in a week or whatever. I think that might be one of the biggest disconnects is you have to practice all this stuff a ton. And it's not so much Madden where you go, nah, that playbook sucks. Let me try this one. And then you just call those plays and everybody runs it perfectly. If the receivers aren't used to running these plays, if the quarterback isn't used to running these plays, if the offensive line isn't used to running those plays, the running back's not used to it, it's not going to be able to be run very well. And they're probably not going to be able to execute it at all. So you run with the plays that are installed. You can install stuff over time, but it's little stuff. And I think that we're seeing finally the run game that they knew has been an issue since week one finally start to change a whole scale scheme change to stuff that they run, but they're making that the priority now rather than some of the secondary stuff. So I think that's the type of timeline you're talking about when you're talking about all these different concepts, throwing them in there. If if you can't see, see when 
last year or the year before the Bengals have run those concepts, then they're they're not just going to get thrown right in. The whatever you guys think the Vikings are doing, which I watched, it was a little underwhelmed by them, quote unquote, scheming Jefferson open. Uh, I they can't just throw that right in unless you have seen the Bengals run that concept because they haven't practiced it. And even if you practice it, it could end up looking like the shovel option. That's what it looks like when these teams are just throwing stuff in there that they see or the Philly special where it looks like a disaster. Yeah. I, I, you mentioned the run game and if someone would have told me the run game is really going to get going against Baltimore on Sunday night football, Joe Mixon is going to turn it around. I would have said, nah, I don't see it happening. And, and I would have thought T Higgins was going to be playing in the game, but obviously knew he was limited in practice. What did you think of the run game as a whole when you went back to watch the tape? Awesome. My favorite part of the game, to be honest. Um, so they made a, a lot of changes. So there's basically two schools of thought when it comes to running the ball zone and gap and zone is what they were trying to do. There's a lot of this wide zone stuff that's running on the angle. It's running sideways, moving guys sideways, displacing what well, I usually hear it described as, and what I would describe it as is moving the front, you know, your front six, front seven, whatever, laterally. And the running back makes his cut off of what's there. I always think of it as uh, it's kind of like jazz. And your offensive line is playing the percussion. And then your running back, he can see what's going on and hit his solo. Uh, you know, the running back's a saxophonist or Louis Armstrong. And he sees the opening of these percussion guys like, Oh, that's a good beat. I'm going there. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to play this solo uh, type thing. It, but in reality, you get your reads, you read the leverage of the defender, but that's just a fun way to think about it is that like they are the offensive line and the blockers are kind of the stabilizing force and the running back is able to choose off of that where he's going. Cause he could go backside front side or through the middle. When it comes to these gap plays, it's much more defined. Think of that more like your classical music where you are supposed to do this or jazz is like, I can do whatever I want as long as I'm playing within the music, within the beat of this music where your gap stuff it's downhill. That's one of the bonuses. It's downhill quick. The offensive line doesn't have to run sideways and get downfield and block linebackers on the run and show that they have limited athletes there. They're running downhill. They're showing power. That's where Lowell Collins, that's what he's made to do is just run these guys over Alex Kappa. Same thing. Cordell Volson. This is where he shines. The guys that were better at zone, definitely Jonah and maybe Karis. He's fine at both. But you got three guys that are maulers, and the other guys, they're not bad at gap. They're fine. So you've got now got at least five fine blockers at this scheme, and three of them, that's where they excel. So that's why I think the scheme works so much better, and you've got these defined reads, whether it's trap, duo, iso. The running back has this read. I'm going here unless this happens specifically or like you don't go backside usually um on these plays like you don't cut it back you can go forward or you can bounce and you have to get a specific read for that rather than just reading leverage so that's a lot to say just they're getting downhill on these runs they're playing all this gap scheme now and it fits the offensive line better i don't know if it fits mixon better but it gets him downhill quicker and uh it lets him be more violent which i know he likes to do do you see him do you see this team being able to do this going against the Saints and just kind of keep this run game going so you can finally get something going to balance this offense out? 
oh, I'm annoyed by liking this run game so much because the Saints have a really good run defense. <laughs> so I'm going to say all this stuff that like, yeah, this run game's good now. And then it's like, oh, they're running into a hard <laughs> they, they, they a good game. They're running into a hard spot. I love so many of these Saints defenders. Um, we'll we'll start. David Onyemata, Onyemata is very good. Cam Jordan is still a run-stopping specialist on one side. You've got all these guys, even like the guys you don't really know that well, like your Carl Grandersons and your Shy Tuttles. They're still good run players. Pete Warner, Werner, a little bit of a maniac. He wears a 20 as a linebacker. That's an insane move. But then also go with that. He is like head first and everything. The Saints are so fun with how they fit the run because they're so aggressive. And the Bengals are kind of the opposite or the conservative. I'm not saying either one of these is right. But what the Saints like to do is to open things up and fire these maniac linebackers. And my favorite player, one of my favorite players in the league that's not a Bengal is Demario Davis. He's a linebacker for the Saints. You might not heard of him. I think he's one of the most underrated linebackers in the league. What he has made almost a career out of is when gaps open up when they're blocking, he sprints through there and he just mauls the running back. He looks like the predator too. Cause he's got the long dreads and he's just like, <laughs> there's one play he like jumped up. was like flying at a guy. I was like, Oh goodness. He, he looks like a movie, like a movie villain, but uh, it's so cool. And I like the way they play the run. I think the way to attack them is through the air, but we can get to that uh, on Thursday for the Friday pod. But I, I don't know if they're going to be able to continue it against them. I think it should be better than I expected going into this week. Cause I just like the scheme changes. And I think Mixon looks more healthy than he did the past since week one. I thought week one, he looked pretty good despite whatever it said. And then since then, I think we've all thought Mixon doesn't look right. He's falling down a lot. He looks a little bit slower. He gets that mini buy. He looks better. I think the run game as a whole just looks better and um, might not see it this week but i think it's like the falcons and the browns this is something they can use to really attack them i think you know confidence can grow from that and as you mentioned maybe it's not sunday but going forward there's still plenty of football left for the run game to get going and maybe that mini by did wonders and i know he had a meeting with some of the offensive linemen before the thursday night game and communication helps um, I think that's extremely important to be able to work on that as they got back to work last week. We'll go to the wide receiver room right now. Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow. It's very head scratching. And, and you go back and watch the tape when you're forcing to Jamar. Jamar is getting double quadrupled teams sometimes. What's going on with this two, the, the two of these guys right now? Yeah, teams are just really focused on Jamar Chase, and they want to really limit explosive plays from the Bengals as well. I will also say just the caveat at the start of this, I thought the plan early was fine, and I think that Jamar Chase needs to play better on those. Um, he's getting in space one-on-one -on -one with Marcus Peters, and I need Jamar Chase to win that, and he wasn't winning that. Um, I know Marcus Peters coming downhill fast. I just feel like Jamar Chase, if you told anybody before the game, Hey, Jamar Chase will be one-on-one -on -one with Marcus Peters with a chance to get an explosive play. You go, awesome. <laughs> but Peters made that play like three times. And it's just, uh, I need him to be better. But I also need the Bengals to be able to get him on the move in space a little bit more as well. So a little bit of both. Uh, I, I think the issue, like the run game used to be, I used to keep saying it was threefold, running back offensive line and the scheme they're running. This one, I don't – it is still a, a little bit of everything. I would say Jamar Chase, for the most part, is receiver, getting open and stuff. I think he still looks good doing all that. I wanted to see more after the catch. 
on Sunday. I think the scheme does kind of limit him some, especially when T's out. They don't get him on everything I want, but the defense gets paid too, and they're really focused on him. So really to me, the way to free up Jamar Chase and to get Joe Burrow in this passing offense cooking is to make that defense come up because they are backing the heck out of there. They are playing like 25 yards deep on the snap. It's really respectful to the Bengals offense to say, we are not allowing explosive play. We will play prevent. But then the Bengals aren't taking advantage of that with what everybody yells about when they watch TV is like, why are you letting them throw all these 10 yard passes? It's like the Bengals, why aren't you throwing all these eight to 10 yard passes (laughs) that are there? They're trying to force it downfield a little bit too much. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. If you have to dink and dunk all the way down the field, do it. Get a drive going. If, if they're not going to give up the big play, get it 8 to 10 yards out to your receivers. And speaking of receivers, Zach Taylor was talked about it, and a lot of people want to know if T. Higgins is out right now. He's day-to-day to be determined if he plays. He tried to give it a go on Sunday Night Football, and his ankle didn't feel ready to go. And I think that's a smart move by Cincinnati and his training staff because that's a long-term situation. If, if he can't go, you don't want to push it early. You need T. Higgins out there. This offense without T. Higgins, not ideal. Um, I, I would say not to you know use injuries as an excuse. If he was in that game, I, I have a really good feeling that they walk away with the win in Baltimore. Uh, but unfortunately, you're going to be dealing with that this week as they get back to practice on Wednesday. But as of now, he is day-to-day. Why is Tyler Boyd not getting more reps out there, getting more shots? Ah, man. He's the one that I really think they're all there's all this talk about how you get Jamar Chase schemed open. What I think they really need to do against these shells they're facing is get Tyler Boyd one on one with these linebackers and stuff. He is basically a slot only type player, and that's fine. He's really, really good at his job. But when you're asking what Jamar Chase is in the slots, because Tyler Boyd's there on all these two by two sets and they don't want to put him outside because he's less effective there. But let's utilize him to his full effectiveness. And the way I think you can do this is get him working in the intermediate middle of the field. These, all these coverages these people are running have linebackers that are trying to cover that middle of the field area. They don't have safeties there. They don't have corners there. So attack those linebackers. There's two concepts I think of with Tyler Boyd. There's a drive levels type thing where you're going to send Hayden Hurst on about a 12 yard in route and Tyler Boyd's on like a five, six yard drag route underneath. If you, if the linebackers come up, you throw it over to Hayden Hurst. If they drop back, then you hit Tyler Boyd underneath. It's just, that should be hammered while they're dropping back this far because you're going to get Boyd six yards every single play. And then the other one I think of is running weak choice. Just on the backside of other concepts they like that are working to the outside. They like sail. They like flood, all these things to the outside. So get him on weak choice to the other side where he's going to be one-on-one with whoever's in front of him. And he can either run a slant or he can run it out. And this is what Michael Thomas and Cooper Cup love. They ran this all the time. And I think Mike Hilton actually talked about how, oh, yeah, that Cooper Cup, weak choice. That's his favorite route. Make it Tyler Boyd's favorite route because he's a good short area guy and he's smart. So he could do that too. So it's slant if he's outside of you. It's out if he's inside of you, usually with a little bit of sauce. All right, get Tyler Boyd. Feed Tyler Boyd against the Saints. Get the run game going maybe after the Saints to be determined on what that looks like because (laughs) – 
I'll be completely honest with you and, and look, not any insider knowledge on this, but I'll be surprised if T Higgins goes on Sunday. I, I think they're going to be extra cautious with T. Um, as I mentioned, there's still plenty of season left. And I, I think you want to take it easy until that ankle feels it's never going to be 100%, but you want him to feel like the old T Higgins or, or even what you saw in previous games with him. So be, to be determined on, on if T goes, but we'll have more on that for Thursday's podcast. I want to talk a little more about the offensive line quarterback Joe Burrow and this defense after you watch the tapes next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.